They say that a hero can save us. We're not gonna stand here and wait. Hey, everybody. <laughs> it's weird when you stare at me and you sing that. Uh, I watched Spider-Man the other night and listened to the great podcast I was talking about last week. Uh, they're kind of funny, guys. But uh, hey, everybody. Welcome to the second draft of the Untitled Movie Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside my co-host, Mr. Eric Marchin. Hey, how are you? Why didn't you sing Sum 41? I Well, dude, I... We're going to talk about it later, but I don't know if you saw, but Eminem dropped a album today that no one knew. So this is a whole album. It's not just a single. Well, not a whole album about Venom. but A concept uh, album? No. So he, uh, he dropped a new album called Kamikaze last night at midnight Eastern, I believe. And we found out that he had a track called Venom from the movies. I think so, it was just you know, coincidence. And we were just talking about it. And I think uh, Patrick on, on Twitter just tweeted at me too, being like, we need another uh, jam like this from Hero with... Uh, uh, from Chad Kruger and yeah. Josie Scott of Saliva. Yes. Um, and Ladies and gentlemen. Which all works together because I've been watching... Uh, I finished the X-Men in review from the Kind of Funny Guys, the, the podcast I talked about last week, and then they moved on to Spider-Man in review. Right. So rewatch the first Spider-Man. We'll talk about all that. All out on 4K now. Uh, yeah, I watched it in 4K. Um, Dolby Vision. And I uh, watched that, listened to that, and I forgot about Macy Gray, who was in the movie. Um, how could you How could you forget about and, Macy Gray? And then also the credit song with the wonderful Chad Kroger. A fun fact, I saw, I've seen Nickelback in concert multiple times. Have you seen Lincoln Park? Uh, I don't know. I saw Three Days Grace and Nickelback. If you remember Three Days Grace, I do. I I hate everything about yeah. God, the Um, early two thousands. What a time for music. A weird time. But Eminem did a track about Venom. We are going to listen to it later and give our reactions to it. Now, will will it get nominated later this year for song? Because it'll be competing against, I'm sure, a couple tracks from the Black Panther uh, album as well. Um, yeah <laughs> we'll see uh, I, I highly doubt that but i only listened to a bit of it but um how you doing man i'm Second good episode I'm, I'm good it's it's that time of year where you forget what day it is and you everything that you've seen you really can't talk about too much because it's all embargoed but you really want to talk about it and yeah. and have a conversation so you have to you know tease the people that are listening um and yeah i mean the the only kind of major thing that happened this week is i had to get a new phone um i've had my uh, iphone 6 now for three years exact maybe three four years and it just died on me uh, maybe four this week you had the seven the seven s did they do a seven s and then an eight yeah and then the the 10 i think right they right skipped nine school of <laughs> course you the 10th anniversary i have the 10 yeah um but yeah your phone died and you're using a backup right now right? i am and it's still an upgrade though because it's a it's a seven so hopefully uh exciting life you live <laughs> i know it's it's riveting it's it's fantastic stuff what about yourself have you been watching anything or you or other than uh tiff I mean, screenings and stuff like that mostly or? tiff screenings um i actually I, I don't think we talked about this in the last one but uh i got hooked on uh Rhett and link Right. Uh, Good Mythical Morning and Good Mythical More. And they released content uh, every morning. And Mm -hmm. um, 
They're great. They're, they're fun. They're, I mean, both of them, they're very dynamic. If you don't know who they are, they're YouTube celebrities and personalities, um, quote, yeah. quotations, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and they kind of, you know, do fun stuff every every day, whether it be eating something really weird or horrible or hanging out with uh, another internet celebrity or someone that's or kind of... Or just kind of shooting the shit. Kind yeah. Of like, uh, I mean, I, I love their chemistry. And it's weird. We talked about a lot last week and how Netflix and streaming services are kind of changing the industry and things like that. And YouTube's another one of those things where um we have this 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 culture where uh, with a very short attention span right and then something like Rhett and link and it's not to uh, i don't mean that as a negative at all but no videos are 10 to 15 minutes long once a day um very very great chemistry and just great to just watch them have fun together and yeah i mean and even talking about the kind of funny guys that i talked to their youtube group as well and um i'm finding myself going back to youtube more and more often to just kind of either watch podcasts or take short form content like that um but then you go down like kind of a rabbit hole and you find other ones like uh we both like um hot ones um, yes yes with um, uh sean evans yeah which is also a, uh there's a new episode with jeff goldblum, goldblum yep i saw I, that i haven't watched it yet and but... then they also did a, a one uh, with Rhett and link as well yeah which was very recent as well and um uh, a great interview um, show if you haven't watched that either. But I just find myself going down a rabbit hole, and my YouTube subscription list is crazy because I use it to watch movie trailers and, and and then podcasts and then short form content or just kind of dumb dumb bullshit. Which is just almost it's a a, a good thing to just kind of have on in the background as you're doing other things too. Yeah. And then sometimes you sit and watch, focus on something. But um, and you think of Bo Burnham as well. Like yeah. I mean, that's kind of where he got his start and used it as a as a platform for you know. Vine and and YouTube and he's made a very successful career as a comedian and now you know he's a great filmmaker and maybe later on in the show we'll be uh, talking about uh, eighth grade again in terms of our uh, summer wrap up. Yes, we are going to do a summer wrap up later, but um, I just wanted to kick off the show uh, by thanking everyone who sent us some kind words in the last week or so. Um, we I totally was not expecting that at all. Um, Eric and I, I know you're in the same boat as me, but like we're kind of just doing this for fun, and right. it's great if people enjoy it and want to listen. And it, it really, I put a couple tweets out the other day that like. Um, I told you guys about leaving my job and, and, and things like that. And it's a kind of a weird time for me, but, um, I'm having so much fun just going to screenings and reviewing stuff and doing this with you. And then it means the world to me that I've had friends I haven't talked to in a, in a really long time, kind of shoot me a message and be like, Hey, yeah, I've been listening to podcasts lately. So when you said you had one, I, I started it up and it was great and asking me questions about it, or I have uh, old coworkers messaging me or, or people we bumped into at screenings, congratulating us. And it's not even that, like, again, I don't think of it as a big deal. Cause we like, we, we, we peaked too any- soon. Well, we do this shit anyway. <laughs> and, um, I'm doing it more so to just get better at speaking or, yeah, like, well- or, or critical analysis or, or, I mean, we, I, again, we do this shit, uh, daily almost anyway, but it is fun to just record it and put it out there. And, and we're talking about people who we enjoy on YouTube and enjoy content creators. And I know some people hate the word content when you're, when it's, I like content more than influencer. No, sure. But I mean, when it comes to, um, some of this is an art form, right? Like right. Where uh, film or, or television can be art, but 
is a YouTube video just content and and and, and or putting out a podcast? Well, Netflix as like well. That. Even I mean that's and that's it the gets debate like a as well. Marketing kind of uh, people get uncomfortable with that kind of right. kind of stuff because there is that component to it. I mean, you they are making money off of the number of subscriptions. And we're not and trying to make money and... off of this, but I'm no. just enjoying doing it, and it it, I, it really means a lot to people who sent me a message over the. And if you like this, uh, thank you to everyone who reviewed it. Uh, shoot it off to anyone else you know who likes movies or wants to hear my voice or Eric's voice for some reason. Right. It'll put you right to sleep. Yep. If, you, <laughs> if you're uh, an insomniac. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, but me, uh, the last week or so, I've been in the Nobody same reached out to me, by the way. No? My phone died, so right. I don't know. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, I've just been kind of chilling. Uh, uh, been writing a lot. Um, I have a piece up on Cineplex right now about searching. If people want to um, go check that out, um, I also uh, my Happy Time Murders review, which we talked about last week, and then um, also I reviewed The Little Stranger. And that review should be up on in the seats, which you also reviewed for Rogers TV. Yes, and I also have reviews for The Little Stranger and Searching on yeah. Rogers TV that were posted earlier today so keeping busy um with that and then at home i finished breaking bad <laughs> nice so i powered through the fifth season of breaking bad i talked that uh, about that last week um i still fucking love that show i think it is um masterful and walt is such a scumbag and um uh, it made me the second time watching through you really well, did you think that though the first time no, you watched so, it i mean i did you eventually by the end of it kind of uh, but I always felt like he was more sympathetic the first watch because you start out and he is... Because this, he's kind of forced yeah. into the situation. Yeah, but once you kind of know where he ends up from the beginning, you watch it and you're like, you motherfucker, you're such a piece of garbage. Like, Hank didn't deserve any of that. Uh, your wife didn't deserve to be dragged into any of that. And, like, all the people... Who, who, Jesse's, like, journey is, like, is is awful and heartbreaking where I'm like, yeah, he's kind of a shitty kid, but, like... He but he's still a kid, yeah, and you're an adult. And... Yeah, and especially today with everything going on, with the like people in power kind of taking advantage of people, and that and that kind of thing. Too. I don't know like, if pe- I just want to interrupt yeah. here for a second. I don't know oh, if you can yeah. hear that, but it's the sound of uh, a, a jet uh, because <laughs> Matt lives near uh, the X, yeah, and that's currently going on. It's a Canadian thing, and there's an air show uh, this weekend. So We're not you're... watching Top Gun at, at full blast. So if you hear some kind of uh, rumbling in the background, which we can hear but i'm not sure if you can but um but yeah you might hear some jets fly by randomly during the episode but um finished my rewatch of breaking bad went straight into um i watched all the flash forwards of better call saul even though i've already seen them just because it it just felt right after finishing that um have you been watching any of brooklyn 99 or catching up with that slowly catching up nevis is um Watching Brooklyn Nine Nine for the first time, um, and who's re- Nevis? Uh, my partner Nevis. Okay. So we, I talked about her last Did, week. Okay, so I can't remember. Think, so, um, so she is watching um, Brooklyn Nine Nine for the first time. So I'm rewatching it with her. I have not watched the newest season, which is season five. five. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited. We're almost there. We're like halfway through season four. It's been a slow run because uh, Nevis actually works at the Toronto International Film Festival, and she works uh, on the editorial team. So she puts out the TIFF booklet every year, which I know you know, but uh, and we not. should all be grateful oh, God, because yeah. she is doing an amazing job yeah. and working. I mean, all of the staff there mm-hmm. have been putting in such an amazing effort and working overtime to make sure that we are going to have a great festival. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much to the TIFF staff this year. Yeah, and so she um, 
she worked her ass off all summer to get the um, the program book out, which um, is available now if yes. anyone in Toronto uh, wants to pick it up if you're coming into the city uh, for the fest. Um, I have uh, a book from every year I've gone to the festival. Um, it's awesome. So she was really busy with that. So now she has some time on her hands. So we're going back and um, she's watching Sex in the City right now. Um, so we're kind of going back and forth. Um, she'll watch a bit of that, but then we'll watch uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine together. Um, and then, yeah, I... Um, can we just say, can we just quickly say that Andre Brower as Holt is amazing? Is amazing. Yeah, <laughs> everyone's amazing in that show. Like yeah. I really like um, uh, Boyle kills me. Um, uh, John Latrugio. Yeah. Like, um, or Joe Latrugio. Um, he kills me. Nicolas. <laughs> Nicolas. Nicolas. Um, Nicolas. It's no, it's um, Nicolas. <laughs> and then what the fuck else? Oh, Spider Man. I talked about it at the opening too. So f- again, following up on last week, I've just you'll hear about this every week. I'll probably kind of give you my quick reactions i'm i'm following along with the the kind of funny um spider-man in review now because x-men had finished um not a sponsor after deadpool 2 um last week so it's kind of fun to go back and watch those um man the first spider-man movie is rough in places right well it's of it's it's of the early 2000s like i I even remember 90s early 2000s well that first teaser trailer uh had the the twin towers in mm -hmm. it and they had to remove that digitally um and yeah but i remember also it was a huge deal because it was the first spider-man movie live action film it was right after the x-men movies and i just remember that opening weekend and going to the theater and it was Packed. Oh yeah, it was crazy, and I remember absolutely loving it. Like, well, I was thirteen, I think twelve, thirteen when the first yeah. came out, two thousand two. Yeah, because um, Spider Man Two was two thousand four. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think they're like, yeah, yeah, two or three years apart. It was weird. Um, so I rewatched that, and um, you can definitely see a lot of Sam Raimi in it, and you can definitely see a lot of that kind of. We still hadn't gotten past, I think the the Batman and Robin kind of cartoony like we need to adapt this um um comic book right exactly right. how it's portrayed and um it, it was it was fun I, like i enjoyed it i i just like there's a lot of the stuff with green goblin and like and to uh, willem defoe i think like i i love willem defoe but that performance is just so over the top and, it, and it's I hard to it explain times. i love it at times but uh, when they're both in their suits and they're kind of yelling Power at Rangers, each other, man. and like it is Power Rangers, a hundred percent Power Rangers, and and uh, Tobey Maguire is just awful. Like I just, at least in this one, he's just, I just, I'm like, man, I did not remember how he just does not work in this. Well, and, even like, just his, his face, like his, his quips, uh, and like he he does look like he's. 80 years old <laughs> playing a but the, a but teenager. that's common for for a lot of know, tv and movie then, actors like, then where it's like you know the luke perry's of the world where you have yeah. a 30 year old playing a, a 15 you or 16 a year old yeah. stop <laughs> and then uh but where he's like calling him gobby and stuff he's like you won't get away with this gobby and like just the way he delivers it all and then got you can see willem in 4k watching it now you can see willem defoe's yeah because there's like a screen yeah. right yeah. It's so funny. It's so funny. And, like, it's just really corny, but, like, still sort of fun. And I can see why. It's definitely a, a children's movie, like a kid's right. movie. And, um, but you have to appreciate, part, but... I mean, that was that was the early 2000s. And both, I know you're not a big Lord of the Rings fan, but both yeah. Sam Raimi and Peter Jackson, who came from these schlocky B-movie backgrounds with, you know, Evil Dead and Meet the Feebles and Bad Taste, 
you know, got these huge, you know, IPs, you know, and 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 became these great blockbuster franchises. And I remember like seeing the, you know, the Wingnut logo in in, in Lord of the Rings pop up. That's Peter Jackson's company, and you're like. Wait, this is this is in like a, a huge hundred million dollar budget yeah. film. <laughs> I know it's crazy, and I, I'm and you can really see a lot of Evil Dead in in Spider Man. Well, just the camera like, move, especially oh in God, two, especially with like the the, the, the arms. And yeah, the arms for sure with the Doc the Ock, point yeah. of view ones where he kind of first comes out. I mean, I'll get to that next week after I watch. Well, maybe not because of TIFF. I'll probably get a little bit behind. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed it. It was a fun kind of flashback, and and it still looks really good on 4k and i mean it, well they changed cinematographers um, right because bill pope took over for part two mm-hmm. um they switched aspect ratios too yeah yeah because bill pope also shot the matrix yeah and um first movie's in 185 and then i started i just briefly turned on the second one and it was in um 239 um so yeah that's what i've been watching man but um other than that get prepping for the festival so as we record this i don't want to date ourselves but we already we're, have. We're yeah, basically, it's the last day of August. <laughs> September's around yep. the corner, and uh, TIFF is next week. And I know we did a bit of a preview last week. So, oh, um, happy Labor Day! Yes, I hope you everyone. watch the Jason yeah. Reitman film. Oh yeah, God, make a pie. Yeah, um, with your close loved one. I don't know what that movie was. Or about. we just got out of prison. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, so uh, Labor Day weekend's coming up, and then the festivals next week. So we won't go too too deep into TIFF because there's not much we can talk about. We talked about last week what we're excited for. Yeah, we covered a lot of it. Yeah, next week we'll have a a, a normal episode. It, we probably won't be talking about much TIFF stuff because we'll be recording it right before the festival begins, and then we're hoping that um, we can record a gigantic kind of um reaction um, and recap of the festival at the Mm -hmm. end of the festival Mm -hmm. or maybe a day after to give us time to you know recuperate yeah it'll be a lot and i i would love to get stuff out there during the fest i'm just we'll see how we're feeling and like well there there'll still be capsule reviews that you'll be posting for mm -hmm. in the seats and i'll have stuff as well check our twitter account yeah for the most part like I, i will most likely tweet after every movie i see so whether that will be obnoxious for you or you'll want to know uh you can follow me uh on twitter and i'll post all my tiff reactions there um cool man so yeah um where do you want to kick it off this week what do you want to start with well i think we should start off with uh the summer's coming to an end uh but we do have a couple movies that are still you know getting their releases Mm -hmm. uh searching uh, yes. just opened uh you as you mentioned before you have an article on cineplex I do. com, and maybe we should talk a little bit about the movie yeah let's go into searching um so eric what did you think of searching or what what is searching about well searching i mean okay so it's a thriller that takes place entirely on computer and iphone screens and it stars john cho as kind of the backup parent who is responsible in there but he maybe doesn't quite connect to his teenage daughter who disappears um and at first you're thinking okay well maybe you know she just didn't tell him she's she's going out camping with friends or or you know doing something else what what you would normally expect from from a teenager you know rebellion or 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 adolescence but then it gets more the the mystery the mystery of it or or sort of what you're we're thinking of is that you know is has she been abducted has she been uh 
kidnapped and, and lying, to her, uh, lying to her father or, or, or foul play even mm-hmm. and I'm trying to not uh, talk too much about the plot itself but then you know they bring in the police and a detective played by Deborah Messing is on the case and she probably gives one of the worst performances of the yeah. year um, and again the whole time this takes place on a computer, a computer screen. screen and what makes the movie I think compelling isn't just the gimmick of it but it's the performance by John Cho that sort of grounds the whole film yeah I I totally agree man like um I was kind of floored by this movie a little bit because like I wasn't sure what to expect it sounded kind of interesting and the trailer was uh, the first trailer was pretty good the second one not so much um but I really liked the short film Noah from TIFF in 2013, right. um, directed by uh, Walter Woodman. It reminds me of Walter White or Walt Whitman. Um, and Patrick Cedarberg, um, that won the best Canadian short film at TIFF in 2013. Right. Um, similar concept where it all takes place on um, a young kid's computer screen, but it's more so about his relationship with this girl and kind of how that plays out. Well, then also um, you have the Unfriended movies, which yeah. are re- the first one anyways, when it was playing the festival circuit, went by Cybernatural. Uh, which is an amazing title, and and it's produced by uh, Timur Bekmambetov, who's the producer on Searching, yeah. um, a Russian filmmaker who seems to only want to make movies that take place on computers. Well, screens. now because I, I mean the last movie he directed was Member Ben Hur, the remake of Ben Hur. Before that, Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. Oh God, no. Very bad, very bad. But um, but this is good. Yes, I actually yes. um. It's pulpy and kind of corny at times, and and, and predictable. Almost... Like you kind of know the, the 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 pacing of it and the structure. Like it is your typical abduction thriller, but yeah. the the novelty or the gimmick of it is it taking place on these computer and screens think, or on these phones. Yeah, and I think it's masterly crafted. Like I, I for me, it just felt like incredibly. Um, authentic or believable because from everything of the movie begins um and you get the windows 95 um kind of boot up screen right and i think like from there on i'm like huh this is really cool and then they kind of he plays with time in a really interesting way through the evolution of technology essentially right and i think an opening that um personally like it doesn't rival the opening of up but imagine something similar to the opening of up but taking place on a computer and kind of seeing what happens to this young girl's mother and and this man's wife through um the events on this windows 95 computer and as they transition over to a mac os x operating system and right. um she this isn't a spoiler no because it happens in the first in the, 10 minutes 10 of the minutes movie. of the movie and it's just the setup that she passes away from cancer yeah and lymphoma why, yeah. yeah and um it, i just thought it was real like right from the get-go i go oh man this is like it you just there's something about that nostalgia and that um you can relate to just based on hey i used a windows computer in the 90s or i've used mac os x operating system and even though that might be the only thing you connect with but you you can connect on a level where you know when he's searching on facebook or sending an iMessage or 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 calling someone on facetime and things like that you can it just brings a uh, level of uh, believability to it to me and even as silly as it kind of gets as we move along and kind of the twists and turns that happen in the final act are almost sort of laughably bad but that's like, where it falls apart i think in that third does, act but like i almost bought into it because i use the comparison of like i feel like 
it seemed like they were inspired by those kind of um, going back to Netflix, which we talked about last week. A lot of those true crime documentary series that you that you see on Netflix now, where they're almost too crazy to be real, but they are real. But sometimes that doesn't quite work in something that's not real, right? Because right. you're just like, oh, this is not super believable. But I, if you let just let it be and you can kind of forgive that because i think the movie does a really good job building tension and showing like all through these computer screens and whether it's on his phone or security footage he sets up that he's looking through at his laptop or the news broadcasts that are all i think like i hate in movies when they have some fake news logo and some fake newscast gnn like, yeah like i hate that and um well most of most of the actual like the social media and the platforming is all the actual yes, license. He's searching on Facebook. Yeah, and like it's Google not and YouTube. It's and, not Moogle and Twitter and like. And I found it really interesting to kind of see um, in the digital age what would happen, like in these missing person cases and how people think he did it, and like and all this thing spreads online or the the people who are creating a hashtag for her to try and find her. Yeah, and like and just seeing some in the comments. Yeah. Like all those comments on YouTube, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, the dad did it, or it's like, it, it all plays out in real time narratively. And they do a much better job than a, another movie we'll talk about at a later date. Oh, yes. Uh, that we recently saw. Yes. Um, and I just think it just really feels authentic and real, and, and, and it's it's heightened and, and kind of silly, but um, I just loved seeing him kind of, and you instantly relatable watching this gigantic computer screen and him just searching through these things and him taking it into his own hands because the police aren't doing a good job helping him and just him researching her and what you can learn about your kids or people by or what you didn't know about your kids because i mean that i think that's the 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 crux of the story it's like how much do you really know especially about the people that are closest to you and and do you have an idea because when the mom dies the mom was the the, the the sort of the central parent or the, the person that uh, Margot, played by Michelle Law, would go to. And you can tell that, you know, John Cho's character, David Kim, does care about his daughter, but he was kind of like the backup parent, the one that kind of, you know, was responsible, but maybe not emotionally mm-hmm. uh, sort of available well, for her. Well, and he becomes distant as his wife passes away yeah. too, right? Because I'm sure the daughter reminds him of his wife and he kind of let's margo just kind of uh, like he he's distant right? yeah and, and the and, communication barrier you know uh, there's 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 distance between the two and i like i don't want to get too much into what he learns about margo but i like the idea of again you learn about your kid and maybe they're they're not exactly what you think they are in it that could be in a good or a bad way um and just this idea of people making friends online and 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 just uh, having these digital relationships with people and i i just feel like it, it goes into that in really interesting detail right and, and, and whether or not that those relationships are authentic to the ones that we have you know physically mm-hmm. you know meeting people uh out and about actually having sort of meaningful relationships and i will say as well the the uh account name fish and chips is very <laughs> creepy <laughs> yeah for sure and I, I mean you can definitely tell it's inspired by some of those other movies we we've seen before whether it be noah or 
I don't. I don't want to list. But you, but you did. You, you already but... even said the true crime thrillers yeah. like that again, like the procedural stuff, like when Deborah Messing's character, which is, is introduced, she is the weakest part of the movie. But... Yeah, it, it becomes more of a procedural where you know, like they're investigating, finding clues here and there, whether it be in a, a you know a movie file or her laptop account, and they're piecing it together, and that's kind of where it has that TV quality. And you have to, like, I I, I can't fault uh, Deborah Messing completely because. She's acting against a webcam for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anish Shiganti, who directed the film, used to work for uh, Google Creative Labs. Really? And yeah, and That's and cool. so you know, he instead of storyboarding, what he did was he reenacted the whole film and he played every role as setup to show the actors. So the thing that makes John Cho's performance even more incredible is that he is actually just interfacing with. A webcam like nobody's talking back to him right um and yeah and again uh, anisha ganti and uh sev ohayan um who co-wrote uh, the script with him i mean it's it's got a very you know slick well-produced style and the tone never lets up but i do think that that third act and it's and it's hard to get into details without spoiling it but it kind of feels like I, I was hoping that there would be a more ambiguous ending mm-hmm. and sort of the ending that we get is is a little too maybe overt. Yeah, and I I um I don't mind the ending. Again, at first I was like, okay, this is a little silly, but um, right. Um, it wraps up all it the loose ends. Works. Like it's it works. I, I ultimately I let I I let that pass, and I think the movie is expertly crafted and feels like someone is searching on their computer for their missing daughter, and I I just thought it was like. Uh, compelling and again john cho's performance is is fantastic it's he really has come such a long way <laughs> since being the second build milf guy in american pie yeah like it's it's incredible oh my because God, yeah yeah because when you think about it like i know you didn't love columbus but you have to look at, at someone who you know has done well successfully in terms of you know the harold and kumar movies and also star trek i mean but, both of them have been pretty successful since harold and kumar i mean cal penn worked at the white house yeah yeah for like, obama but but yeah. But I mean in terms of, like, he's made those movies, and he could continue going down the franchise route or finding films that are more comfortable to make. But he goes and makes Columbus or the erotic thriller Gemini, you know, and, and, and he's picked – or this. Like, he's picking stuff that's, that's you know, independently and smaller, made. Yeah. yeah, and smaller, and, and, it get, and it gives him a starring role. Like, I want to see him in more leads now. Like, I want to see him go up for something – you know, like a big drama or, or, or an action movie. Let's I like totally put him agree. in there. Yeah, totally agree. I think he, he it, the movie's held together by him and is as compelling as, I mean, searching on a computer can only be so compelling. You need yeah. someone who kind of uh, drives that throughout the whole movie. And luckily, John Cho is fantastic in this movie. Deborah Messing, painful Not so at much. some time. Did they but... dye John Cho's eyebrows? Like, I feel like there was, I'm like, sure. gray in there well, a Well, maybe to bit. make him look a bit older. older yeah. Like, the beginning of the movie, like, uh, it's some years past, like, almost 10 years, yeah. I think, or something like that, right? Um, I'm not sure. But um, if you guys want more of our thoughts, uh, Eric was... Eric's review is up on uh, CinemaScene, rogers.com uh, slash CinemaScene. My review is up on intheseats.ca. Uh, sorry, I didn't review searching. I wrote a piece on Cineplex. Never right. mind. So your um, review is right here. My review was right here. Um, I think it's great. Um, I I was really, really pleasantly surprised with it. It's uh, not um, just clickbait. No, it, it's not at all, man. <laughs> it's uh, I hate these puns. They're coming back. Um, anyone who listened to our last podcast knew it was riddled with Eric's kind of um, – 
puns. Dad um, jokes and puns. But I think this is 100% worth checking out if you're a, a, a fan of the genre. Genre. A statement. But if you like thrillers and you want something kind of fun and... and and, and fresh and... for for the for late summer. I mean, it's rare that we get a movie that is this engaging and entertaining, you know, at the tail end of the movie season, especially Agreed. for the Labor Day weekend. I mean, August and beginning of September are usually pretty drab. Yeah. Um, but luckily, searching is um, a bright spot in a rather crappy August. Yeah. And, uh, so go to the movies and download it today. Yeah. Well. It would be a good movie to also like if you wait and watch on your yeah, phone or, or it might laptop. even be more effective watching yeah, it on, on a nice laptop, laptop like screen or computer screen. But yeah, it's 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 well done and 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 I the only thing I worry about with the genre itself, the novelty of it, is yeah. that it might end up like the found footage genre. See, where I compared those two genres same. in my piece. Um, I I didn't listen to your review. Sorry, that's fine. I didn't, didn't want to. It was it was like I didn't one sentence. But yeah, right, 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 right. Point. And um, when I, I I don't know if it ended up in the the final draft because I actually need to still read it because it just went up today. Um, but in my original draft, I did compare, and I I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. But I don't it either. Can be overdone to the point right. that the found footage genre was, and I actually I think there is a, a true comparison between um kind of this success of of Blair Witch Project, which I know it's that's not the first found footage. No, um, I think one of them was Holocaust Cannibal and, Holocaust and the Legend of Boggy Creek. Yeah, but Blair Witch was really kind of what um, pushed that genre into like everyone, it made it mainstream. And everyone thought every, it was real, yeah, and which is kind of that authenticity is what I use to compare to this movie being like. Because it's someone on a computer, just like how it felt when someone was holding a video camera and that felt real and visceral and like it brought you right into that moment. I feel like that par- that parallels completely with what they're doing with searching and Noah and things like that, that it is this generation's found footage film. But I mean that as a compliment right. for some of the better found footage stuff at the beginning of when that genre took off uh, and not so much when it was beaten into the ground uh, and we had 14 paranormal activity movies and things right. like that. Um, and it doesn't need to necessarily be one type of genre as well. Like it doesn't need to just be a thriller or horror no. movie. It can be I mean, look a at compelling Noah drama like a, a, or coming of age. relationship drama yeah. kind of, I think. And I mean, we've seen supernatural horror. We've seen... Uh, Cybernatural, please. Yeah. Um, uh, but, but that's interesting as well. I want to mention this quickly is that this... Um, Unfriended. Even though I didn't really love the first one, I think the second one, did Dark, you see Web, Dark Web, I did. Yes, and I liked that more because it wasn't supernatural. Yeah. Um, but I think what uh, that movie does really cleverly as well. That Searching doesn't do this because it actually has um, a, a score of its own. But the music that's played throughout Unfriended is all music that's like on from the iTunes. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. That's yeah. really cool. Searching does have a score though, right? It or does have a score, and they times? do at the beginning have um, he's listening to a violin concerto. Mm-hmm. So which is what scores the opening? Yeah, the but but there is a, like an actual score that's been added in post production. That's mm-hmm. just score. Like it's not which sourced. it doesn't take away from it. I think it kind of adds to. It. Oh, I do too. But I, I think it's clever when they actually work it into the movie itself. You. But yeah, definitely check it out. Um, it uh, came out today in Toronto. Yeah, which uh, it's, I think it's wide because I mean it's playing where I'm from and where Matt is originally from as well, the Durham region. It's it's playing at Landmark, okay, so it's open wide. So yeah. go check it out. Uh, on the other side of things, we we don't have to go too deep into this because I know we both did. On the other on side of the spectral, um, <laughs> we also saw 
um, Lenny Abrahamson's uh, follow-up to Room. The, the movie that, that, that no one, or at least Universal and Focus Features, is basically burying. Um, maybe for good reason. But there are, there seems to be some positive uh, feedback from some yeah, critics. Yeah, I haven't which checked is... it out too much, but um, spoiler alert, we both did not like it. No, and I like a good gothic... Uh, ghost story ghost story or just just horror. kind of weird period piece like it doesn't need to have supernatural elements like I really like the Rachel Weiss movie from last year uh, My Cousin Rachel or even the Ruth Wilson film I am the pretty one that or I am the pretty thing that lives, lives in the, the house. house yeah and Ruth Wilson being yeah. in, in The Little Stranger and I think she's probably one of the best parts of the film at least I in terms of her performance um, uh, do you want to tell people what yeah yeah so the, the Little Stranger is based on a novel by Sarah Waters from 2009 and it's a story about a scowling doctor portrayed by Donald Gleeson in England in the 1940s, particularly uh, uh, Warshire. And he is completely obsessed with this old uh, mansion. hundred visiting it as, as a, a kid. Yeah, yeah. A uh, hundred acres. It kind of has like a, a bride's heads revisited uh, kind of feel to it where the place kind of has haunted him for all of his life and Matt rolls his eyes when I'm when I'm saying this um, but it's true and so he's called there on a, a on a house call and when he arrives he remembers you know spending some time there and he wants to get reacquainted and it becomes a movie more about class structure and you know uh where the ghost story actually comes into play is a good hour into the movie and you think oh maybe it's going to be a slow burn and we'll get more as the movie progresses but no it's like watching uh, a hard-boiled egg uh, you know, for a couple of hours, boil in, in in hot water, and literally, there's a scene in the movie where that happens. Yeah, uh, yeah, it it it's strangely dull, and like I mentioned this in my review too, and it's so interesting when a, a filmmaker gets nominated for an Academy Award or um for Best Director, or their movie gets nominated. And he was for a surprise picture. best. He yeah. he was uh, Lenny Abramson was nominated for Best Director that year, and I remember right. a lot of people were thinking, oh, well, you know, he got the Ridley Scott spot for The Martian. Yeah, and um, but we've seen this before, and I mentioned it in my review too that it, it is really difficult to follow up a huge success, and I don't right. know. I, I mean, I consider Room a huge success. Maybe not um, um, financially, but I mean, critically, critically and I think and, it did okay. Yeah, Brie and, Larson won Best Actress. Yeah, and and um, you've seen this before. I mean, I listed off a bunch of movies with um, uh, David O. Russell following up uh, American Hustle with Joy, even though I didn't like American Hustle so much, or, or even. Um, but he, but he had kind of uh, like this string of hits. Um, where it was the fighter, uh, yeah. well, Silver Linings, the fighter, Silver and, and, and yeah, yeah. And, and then American Hustle. So that was bound to kind of happen. And where then Lenny Joy Abram- kind of just came and, and went. And but then, Jennifer Lawrence got an Oscar nomination yeah, for that too. But should she have? No, probably not. <laughs> um, and then, or even something critically successful like Jurassic World with Colin Trevorrow, and then following that up with The Book of Henry. Well, he did or, that to himself. I know, but like, <laughs> it's just bizarre to me. Or even Ang Lee following up Life of Pi with um, Billy Billy Lynn. Lynn's long halftime uh, walk God, but but that's like, but he's more experimental like i know I, but i just feel like it, it's still a failure no right. matter if you're trying something different but I, mean, I think there's there's failures when it comes to like experimental failures where yeah, you know that it's not necessarily gonna work like different. soderbergh does that all the time yeah. right like he'll go and make bubble and bubble's not a great 
uh, movie by any means, but you can tell that it wasn't going to be necessarily like a commercial hit or a movie that he was going but to even, say, hey, I'm following up the Ocean movies with this and, and I want th- that same audience to come in and see it. I know it's – I don't expect that. You don't want to keep doing the same thing over and right. over either or go well. Unless this, you're Ron Howard. This worked last time. <laughs> um <laughs> This worked last time, so I'm going to do the same thing. Or even Alexander Payne with downsizing. This right. is bizarre. And, like, sure, he took That's a, a good of... comparison. But, that's, yeah. but, but again, I appreciate – even though I hated that movie, I appreciated him at least trying to go out of his comfort zone. Uh, Morton Tildum with Passengers as well. I mean, I didn't love Fifth Estate. It was Fifth Estate was the one he did before. No, that was or Bill was, Condon. No, uh, Imitation Game. Yes. Sorry. Was what Wrong I Benedict Cumberbatch yeah, movie. Yeah, sorry. They all, it's all just – blends together um but passengers is fucking awful too so i just feel like it's just interesting to me seeing these mostly talented filmmakers kind of follow up a success highly successful movie with something that kind of completely flops whether it's critically flops or financially but even the studio has like completely disowned this thing i I mean they've just dumped it yeah it's interesting to me because maybe they get too much freedom after having so much success like that like right. I, I think that's what happened with Trevorrow and and it, it might have happened here where you you make a movie that is acclaimed and, and gets awards or makes a, the second highest uh, box office in, in history or whatever the hell the first Jurassic World made which right. I don't necessarily think was because of him. Tre- no because I mean <laughs> it already had a built in audience yeah, like, and it, it was a franchise it doesn't matter what that movie was yeah. it would have Eli been. Roth could have directed that thing and it would probably would have made no, a lot I of mean, money I mean I feel like because it was passable for the most part yeah. that it, it helped people word of mouth kind of go yeah it's decent most people and you go and watch it but if it was awful then i feel like that might not have happened but maybe it's um i don't know what it is but maybe it's too much freedom or they're allowed to do whatever the fuck they want afterwards and to your point some guys take interesting risks um and some people do like this is just a weird choice and i know you you said that the novel was pretty well received yeah and and this is this is from the same author who did fingersmith um which was uh recently adapted by park chan wook as uh, the handmaiden's tale Oh yeah, or handmaid, handmaid, the handmaid, the handmaid. Yes, the handmaid's tale is a show on. Hulu. Yes, yes. Sorry, with the handmaid. Yes, the handmaid. Uh, the Korean film, which yeah. is just delightfully insane it's, it's and strange, yeah. and wonderful. Um, but going back to this, like, it's just dull, and I don't yeah. even have that much. I was struggling so much. Like, I mean, again, you can read our reviews and watch our reviews, so we won't go um too deep into it. But like, it's competently I, made. Yeah, I said it. I exactly said those same things. Where it's like you're never. I was never sitting there going like this is awful. Right. It was more so just. I'm bored out of my mind. And just like I don't. This is boring, and I just don't care. And what's fascinating about it as well, it's like I had to remind myself while watching. It's like, wait, this is partly a ghost story, right? <laughs> and I'm like. Is it? Because that's what it was being sold as, right. as a gothic story and, like, that has supernatural elements. To this family, like, oh, and we haven't even talked about Will Poulter. Oh, oh God. God! So, like, again, Ruth you mean Will, Roderick? I, um, or no, 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 Will Poltergeist. Um, Donald Gleason is kind of monotone and boring, and and I feel like as he normally just, is, and he just it seems like he doesn't even care, and he's just kind of like going through the motions. At least for me, that's what it felt like. Uh, Ruth Wilson, who I I always kind of like, I feel like she is the best part of the movie, and right. while she's not given a whole lot to do, I feel like at least when she's on screen, you're kind of like, oh, I I can get into this a bit more. Yeah, she um, has this kind of strange. 
mysterious quality mm-hmm. to her that feels you, you're kind of just completely captivated by her and and yeah like i completely agree the character doesn't have a lot interestingly going on but she brings something to it mm-hmm. and charlotte rampling is the matriarch doesn't really like have anything to do doing either. what she usually like that she gives exposition yeah, mostly and, and it just seems like a role that i'm like yeah that sounds like what she would be doing right <laughs> um and then will poulter who is j- just really awful yeah it's really bad well he plays a fighter pilot who has been horribly scarred and dealing with ptsd mm-hmm. um named roderick and he's kind of he's the man of the yeah. house because he's in charge and he's making the financial decisions and he's thinking about selling part of the land to a new like um i don't even remember that yeah, because that was the whole thing yeah, where I, Donald Gleason wanted to stop him, and and I, I yeah, literally forgot. I just forgotten everything about this movie. That's why I struggled so hard writing. But he's not in it that much. No, but when he's in it, you can really tell he's in it. It's it's a very uh, over the top performance, and I described it as imagine um, Guy Pierce from Prometheus is playing um, Tommy Lee Jones in, right. in Batman Forever. <laughs> that does like, sound uh, apt. It's. Yeah, it's just not very good. It's just so you can just tell he's trying with every ounce of his being. Well, he's not trying; that. he's trying too hard. That's what I mean. Yeah, like he's just trying so hard to be this this character that it it works against him. I think he's done that in mostly every role he's had. Like even mm-hmm. the other Donald Gleason and uh, Will Poulter team up in the Revenant, uh, he is over the top but luckily you have someone like tom hardy who's able to counterbalance that a little bit or be more compelling as a person on screen but like you look at you know the uh what are the 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 ya movies i'm 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 drawing a blank here yeah the maze runner films like he's he's just like he's it's just too much yeah even even detroit like in that he is too much for that character who's fake yeah a fake character oh boy um, but yeah, it's not very good. I don't really have that much to say about it. I, I will say I, that Simon Elliott, who's the production designer, I mean, his sets are nice looking for the time. Like, they work. Like, I think mm-hmm. that, like, that's what you'd expect from a building that's decaying yeah. and, and sort I of just falling w- apart. I wish they were shown in a in a better way. Like, I just felt like there was nothing eerie. Well, it's not Tom Hooper-ish where well, it's all in close-ups. Yeah, but I mean, even there's nothing eerie or, no. or interesting or, like, I feel like you could have done so much more when you have this... Yeah, this decrepit old manner that you're kind of shooting in, and I just, I just was so. It I know made me pretty... appreciate uh, Crimson Peak even yeah. more, and I know I you know didn't that... love that either. No, I, but I mean, I'm just not a big gothic horror. But at fan, least Guillermo think, knows but... how to shoot inside Agreed. an interior and exterior, house. and it, at least it's weird and yeah. kind of interesting. And like, as much as I didn't love Crimson Peak, I, I would take that any day of the week over this. So. Yeah. Um, check out our reviews um, if you want to read more or, or watch more. But we probably just gave away exactly what we wrote and, and spoke about. But uh, yeah, Little Stranger is not very good. No. <laughs> so skip that. Um, those are our reviews of the week. Um, again, next week we probably won't have any reviews unless we. Well, we do have. Out. There is one, one movie that's opening next oh, week, wait, but I don't yeah, know we, if we're embar- like when no, the embargo we, ends. I think we'll be okay because our next episode will go up after. Okay. So yeah. I think we'll probably talk we about We should peppermint. probably. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, so, yeah, are we allowed to say that we yeah, saw yeah. it? Yeah, okay. who cares? Um, <laughs> we're not talking about what we thought. Right. So you'll see next week. Um, cool, man. So let's move on to some uh, news. We, we sat here before the episode and we 
uh, trying to wrap our heads around what the hell we wanted to talk about. And um, um, we're doing this at a weird time because, again, we're prepping for TIFF and we haven't done this for a while. So we have news that we could be talking about that happened over the last year or so or right. before or stuff that's a little bit more recent. Um, so... Before we get into the summer 2018 wrap up, I just want to quickly like knock off uh, some of this stuff. We talked a little bit about it at the beginning of the episode, but um, as we're recording this this morning, uh, Eminem dropped that um, new album called Kamikaze, um, and uh, it has a track from the upcoming Sony Spider-Man universe movie, Venom. Question of, mark of what the hell that movie is going to be, or. Um, if it ties into the MCU or if Tom Holland will appear, it, it doesn't seem so. Right, um, but it, that it's even that's strange because it is Eddie Brock, and we, I know we talked about it last week. But oh yeah, we did talk about it. But a bit it, last it, week, it right? is, I I just don't know if Sony and Marvel are really on the same page anymore. If, if Sony's just like you know we have all these characters and properties, let's just expand the universe. And if one of them works, maybe we can introduce them later on into a Spider-Man movie or, or, mm-hmm. or if we decide to pull uh, Spider-Man back from Marvel studios, maybe we can, you know, bring Spider-Man into, into our universe that we've built. Yeah. Um, do you want to listen to the song? Okay. <laughs> let's listen to, let's listen to a sample of I, a clip. If, this just already feels dated that they even did something like this. Right. Like, it already feels like something they don't... Like, when, like, Infinity War is coming out and, like, hey, guys, we got Imagine Dragons to do the, the theme to Infinity War. I was hoping it was going to be Migos. Um, yeah, or something like that. But uh, I want to kind of listen to this Venom song and then we can talk about it. So, um, I, I would say pause the episode here, listen to the song. And then come back and uh, you'll you can hear Eric and I uh, talk about the Venom music video. Good lord. <laughs> well, that was something. Uh, thoughts? I don't know what hit me. Um, that's interesting. Do you do you think it'll just be the credit song, most likely? I hope so, right? unless they somehow fit it into some montage sequence. Which would be am- amazingly awful. But, <laughs> um, I don't know what I just listened to, but um, I, li- I like Eminem. I'll just throw that out there like right away. And I, I don't know if I like recent Eminem, but right. like, um, I've always... Um, uh, enjoyed eminem but he's a parasite uh, that latches on to you yeah there's a et reference in there yep. uh, in elliot and phone home, home and he even um, mentions eddie brock i i would just love to sit in that meeting with sony execs going to eminem marshall Venom. and just going okay the movie um uh marshall are you familiar with uh do you think uh, they call him marshall or do you think they call him eminem mr eminem mr eminem mr m um yeah i would just love to sit in that like kind of marketing kind of um pitch meeting or something like that or like who should we reach out to for this movie and then they maybe tom hardy called them up yeah maybe they're friends i don't know it's it's stupid i just kind of wanted to talk about it but like it's um it's something i i feel like you don't i mean you get them in like shitty ya movies and stuff like that i feel like or or any movie that features a a uh, a singer in it as an actor. Yeah, well, based on like, like, I mean, they've been doing this. Will Eminem be in the movie? Oh God, I ho- I hope so. Well, um, I think it was Rob Trench actually, uh, who tweeted out that Eminem was originally up for the role of Venom in Sam Raimi's Spider-Man Three. 
Okay. So that could have been something. Um, and then also Eminem himself was based, or, or, or the comic book artist who did the Wanted, was it Wanted or the Boys? I'm not sure. Um, it was one of those characters. Uh, yeah, no, it was Wanted because uh, Wesley, the main character in the graphic novel, uh, was based on the likeness of Eminem. Oh, um, which yeah. So and I think he. I mean, he's a big Superman fan. I remember that yeah. uh, in the early two thousands. He would yeah. He might talk be a comic book fan. I might be talking shit, and I have no idea what I'm talking about. But um, maybe he's a huge fan of Venom, and he was the one who reached out to them, and he he was like, "I'm dropping this new album, and I want to write a song about Venom." Yeah, I um, love that Venom. Symbiote. Oh, symb- <laughs> is it symbiote or symbiote? Symbiote. Um. So I just thought that was fascinating. Um. And I hope they use it in the um in the the movie somewhere i hope it actually pushes the narrative like cop rock again and i hope we we can bring back my boy chad kroger and he can do a duet with eminem for the new (laughs) spider-man i don't think that's gonna happen but Um, but to go back to like the you know the musician uh singing a song i mean that was that was big in 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 the 80s i mean with with prince doing the whole batman soundtrack partly because the warner brother label had him uh or asked him to do it and he was already on that label doesn't it just feel like a very old school thing to do like even like kiss from a rose well it definitely dates it like i I would say like i mean i like the batman 89 soundtrack both the uh danny elfman and prince uh soundtrack and score but yeah like it feels like of like 1989 and 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 with you know like the 90s stuff with with seal and and u2 on batman forever don't get me wrong it's not like Every movie doesn't have licensed music or right. a credit and credit song. Well, the Bond like, movies still do um, the opening yeah. song. And, and um, so who am I to say anything? I just right. thought it was very weird that he dropped the surprise album and the last track was Venom music from the motion picture or whatever. So right. But, we, but again, also look at the concept album for Black Panther. You know, like they, even right. though they don't really use yeah. it narratively in the film. But other again, than, those are all songs made for that movie. Yeah. Right? So who, who am I to... Um, I th- and that soundtrack's excellent. Like yes. Kendrick Lamar did that entire. Well, or he put together all the music for it. He's not on every track, but right. Well, the weekend um, is as well. Yeah, and, and I, I mean, yeah, I've listened to that soundtrack over and over again. So, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, who am I to say anything? I just thought it was very weird. Well, it feels like I do agree with you. Like it does feel of the you know mid to late '90s and early 2000s, where it's like part of the selling point of those movies yeah yeah but i think it was also to say that the studio at that time maybe felt that the movie needed more merchandise or other ways to sell the film where now comic book movies sell themselves right where a where having a track on an eminem album isn't necessarily going to help the movie it might no i don't know well not i mean if if this was released in the early 2000s it'd be huge mm-hmm. we're now like i don't think it really matters like okay it's cool that eminem you know did this and i mean the song's not great or anything but but uh i mean it's it's kind of a nice maybe throwback to those early 2000s 90s soundtracks but yeah it doesn't it doesn't take away or or make the movie any better or worse i mean from the trailers that we've seen it feels like sony is trying so hard to make this movie work because it's going to launch the spin-off franchise of all these other movies like you know cat and sable and and there was something else as well oh craven i keep hearing rumors that they might be doing a, a craven the jared movie. leto film oh yes uh, uh, uh morpheus right morpheus the vampire dude or whatever hard pass on that one please uh, i really don't like jared leto I'm with you on that. 
Um, all right, what else did we want to talk about? Um, I kind of wanted to talk about uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, yes, it's currently shooting in uh, in L.A. Uh, it's been shooting for the last little while, and what I find most fascinating about that, I mean, if people don't know, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is uh, the ninth film from Quentin Tarantino. His second to last. Um, supposedly. Yeah. Um, uh, it takes place in, 1960, in the summer of 1969 in uh, Los Angeles, California, uh, around the time of the Sharon Tate, Charles Manson uh, family murders. Right. Um, that's not what the movie is about, but they will play a, a role in the film starring uh, Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio as, uh, as best friends. Never heard who, of them. Who... Um, uh, who are actors and a, a stuntman? Yeah, Pitt, and... Pitt's the stuntman and DiCaprio's yeah. the actor, and it almost kind of s- seems like a um, a Clint Eastwood kind of thing. Where when yeah. Eastwood was on um, TV, he the, his series was ending, and it looked like you know he wanted to become a movie star. But the only way to do that, because no one was taking him seriously, is that he had to go to Italy to go and shoot the spaghetti westerns that became you know uh, the Man with No Name trilogy, the Sergio Leone uh, films. Yes, and um, that's exactly what the movie is essentially about yeah. so in classic tarantino fashion but um uh yeah i mean we don't know much about it other than that and that, and it's um, also kind of he's said that it's the closest to pulp fiction, pulp fiction yeah which excites me um but in the last couple weeks um he started shooting i gotta be a month or two ago but then as the weeks have, have gone on I feel like each week we get a new casting announcement with about five or six new people. But chances then, are they were already cast. It's just that we're now hearing it either right. through the trades because, you know, people are taking... Because a lot of this movie is being shot uh, not in studio, but actually out on location. So you have people taking photos and, and so probably somebody spotted an actor and now they have to confirm it and release the, the press release. But usually um, the, the, the cast has been... Uh, sort of assembled as as it's um, before it goes into production. So chances are that some of these people um, were being announced after the fact. Like it wasn't just like they were brought on like just now. Mm-hmm. And it's a I'm not going to list everyone because it's incredibly huge, and I feel like we haven't even heard or or seen everyone yet. Right. And um, and we we've heard through the months leading up to the movie going into production who is actually like the main cast. Yes, so we have uh, Margot Robbie is playing Sharon Tate, which if you haven't seen the photo of her on her Instagram of her as Sharon Tate, it is it's crazy. It's like, scary. It's, it's 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 she just exactly looks like her. Well, I think they also gave her um I uh contact lenses. Mm-hmm, probably. I don't yeah. doubt it. But and then yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio is playing Rick Dalton, Brad Pitt playing Cliff Booth. Um great names. Uh, Al Pacino is playing a I think a either an agent or a lawyer called Marvin Schwartz. Um, uh, Kurt Russell's in the movie Timothy Oliphant uh, James Marsden Um, we have Emile Hirsch Burt Reynolds Damian Lewis who is playing Steve McQueen yep Um, uh, we have Tim Roth is in the movie so you have a Michael Madsen, and some of these are cameos. Um, yeah, I'm I'm assuming a lot of them will be, and he's bringing back a lot of his regulars. Which I, I, again, if it's like Pulp Fiction, I'm sure it will revolve around Leo and 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 Pitt, and then these other characters will come and go, um, or we'll see side stories of some other characters too. Um, but I just think it's it, it's it's crazy. Um, Scoot McNary is in the movie, and then some of the people more recently. Um, uh, Dakota Fanning was added uh, as a member of the Manson family. Um, 
Maya Hawk, who is the daughter of Ethan Hawk and Uma Thurman, um, which I f is quite interesting, especially with what happened earlier this year with uh, Uma and, and, and Quentin and the whole kind of finally coming out about the... Kill the, Bill Volume 1 and 2 yeah. uh, on-set fiasco. Well, I mean, yeah. after that, it seemed like they did forget like she did forgive him and right. kind of made up since then so i i don't well how do you feel any... about that altogether i mean some people are saying that they won't even go and see once upon a time in, in because hollywood because how... because of quentin tarantino's recent um exposés and but also the the manson murders themselves are very uh horrific and a lot of you know people are saying that they are exploitive and and and, and in terms of you know making a movie about it yeah i mean it it's hard to say until you see how he handles it. Right. Because right. we I don't mean, know if that's going to be the sole focus of the movie. Right. And I, I don't think anything's really off limits when it comes to film in, in showcases. I mean, we've seen way more horrific things depicted based on true stuff or untrue stuff. Right. And I, I really, what I think, I mean, I'm a huge Tarantino fan and so are you. And, and, and I mean, I, I would have probably watched it um, either way, unless some, he came out and was an absolute, I mean, the way he handled the Kill Bill situation is unacceptable, and right. and I I don't think it was handled very well. But um, that being said, if if the people who are the victims in that, or um, if the daughter of of is it the daughter or granddaughter of Sharon Tater's sister or um or or something like that came out and she had a meeting with with Quentin and she kind of was put at ease going like hey i'm uncomfortable with this and yeah then he kind of explained what well was it was also it was do. it was um uh the woman who was uh raped by roman polanski as well right and all of that kind of stuff and they've all which is it's not like well we're just all giving quentin a pass and like um because some people um, do feel that way but i agree and that's up to the person but i kind of when when i see the the people who were directly involved in these all kind of not be giving him a pass but either forgive him and go he didn't really have malicious intent in in a lot of these he was careless in the kill bill um situation uh with the polanski comments i think that was uh disgusting and, and gross but he was on howard stern which is a, a disgusting and gross right well it's it's all about time. sensationalism and, right and i feel like i'm not trying to make excuses no either, no but um, I think people should be able to just make up their own minds whether or not they want to go and see the movie. Again, Le know the information going in. That's what I mean. And I, I mean, I've read all of those articles. I've listened to the, the the people who have come out. And like, I mean, yeah, Sharon Tate's family member went and like, well, I met with Quentin. He explained to me what he was doing. And I'm at ease. And I think he's going to do a good job kind of showcasing this. So, And Uma Thurman came out and go, no, we're still friends. We're right. just not as close as we were. And I, I've forgiven him. The and she, she hated Weinstein more more so than right, than, but Quentin was a part of that, and I'm not trying to right. make excuses. The but. only thing I will say about this, and and kind of like a negative aspect, is that I don't know if I'll be able to rewatch uh, Death Proof. Right, like that's the one that thing. Is, like uh... I keep thinking because I because I, I saw. Like, I, I just keep thinking about that every time I, I hear about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. and, and That's the movie he made immediately after, after. The, the incident. And also because it co-stars uh, Rose McGowan in, oh, right. in that first horrible slasher flick moment mm -hmm. uh, when Kurt Russell's stuntman Mike gets behind the wheel to take her home. Yeah. And to me, like, it just it feels very icky. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, but I, I mean, like, before knowing all that, I did like that movie. Like, I know a lot of people crap on it because it's not Tarantino's best or, you know, because it was paired with Planet Terror. There was kind of a, <laughs> like, it was like, oh, the the slow burn style of filmmaking comes up when we've had this, you know, roller coaster ride of, uh, you know, John Carpenter-esque uh, splatterfest kind of movie making. Um, but I like the dialogue, the behind the scenes of, of movie making and, and, and death proof. But yeah, like just the context of, of knowing that information now, um, I, like, I don't know like how you could even do like a retrospective and, and you'd have to really think about playing something like that for, for him, you know, after like he's done these 10 movies and says that he's going to retire or down the line. Yeah. Sorry. I just shoved a whole bunch of Sour Patch Kids in my mouth. Yeah, during your very serious kind of comment, sorry. Oh, that's but, all right. Um, I agree with you. It's um, it's difficult and it's a very weird time. And with this movie, I mean, with Maya Hawk being in it and what the subject matter is, it's well, not just Maya Hawk. There's there's a couple of uh, like rumor Willis was cast. It's it's mm-hmm. it, I made the joke before. There's a lot of nepotism here, um, but there was somebody else as well. Um. Uh, Lena Dunham, who's Lena not Dunham, that popular no, right now. <laughs> right, I almost knocked my microphone over. I shouldn't eat Sour Patch Kids. It just sets me off. Um, yes, um, Lena Dun- Dunham was cast. which was very weird. Um, he cast uh, his Charles Manson. Um, this is what we should talk about, yeah. For... Yeah, which was what people were waiting for. And I, I texted you this the other day, and there's a good article up on... Um, collider actually with an exclusive that they had because yeah because um, they had a, a a still from season two of mind hunter right i don't know if it was a still from it but they had the the i'll try and pull up the article here while we're talking but um the actor i'm i'm blanking on his name I it's damien uh jerison mm-hmm something he's an australian actor um the first time i really took notice of him was in nash edgerton's the square and he's done a lot of TV. He was also in uh, Clint Eastwood's uh, J. Edgar. Um, he was in Justified with Timothy Oliphant. Okay. Um, he he kind of has that weaselly, creepy um, look. That kind of, you know, you could cast him as a, a weirdo or serial killer kind of uh, role. Like they did, in, like Eastwood did in J. Edgar. Because he played the uh, the abductor of the uh, right. Lindbergh baby. Yeah, Damon Harriman. Harriman. As, um, as Charles Manson. And... What's weird about this whole thing, which I found fascinating, was that he's also playing Charles Manson for David Fincher in season two of Mindhunter, right? Um, which you mentioned, but um, but in I'm I'm taking this from Collider, so um, uh, from Jeff Snyder uh, at, at Collider. Um, <laughs> no comment. Nah, Jeff. Jeff's always got those scoops, those hot scoops. So. Um, yeah, I just he's playing um, in in 1969 Manson in, in the Tarantino um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but then um, Mindhunter season two is set in the 80s, so he's playing an older Charles Manson uh, there. And then um, there was another great article on Slash Film that was kind of breaking down the cast um, uh, of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that you guys should uh, check out there as well. Um, and I think one of the other Manson family members. Um, also played that same character in a TV series about the Manson family right. too. So it's interesting to me that whether Tarantino knew this or these people are just the best or the most, they probably look exactly like them right. or, or, or sound and look pretty close to them that 
they're playing the same role but in a completely different film for a completely different person. Well, Tarantino is also admittedly a huge David Fincher fan. I mean, Tarantino is also just a movie fan in general. But I remember it was a couple years ago, I think it was when he was doing press for The Hateful Eight, he talked about you know, sending emails to other filmmaker friends asking them what are the two film or what are the filmmakers that you think are, are still in their prime and like you always need to go and see their movie as soon as it comes out. And the top two that he, he got in response doing a survey and tallying it all together was David Fincher and um, Richard Linklater. And he's talked about Fincher before how like, you know, Fincher style is 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 very um, unique and, and almost Kubrickian or Ridley Scott-esque um, but Fincher doesn't write his own work yeah. and that was the critique of, of, of Tarantino on him where, yeah. you know, like, where you can you know as a writer director you have 10 good movies in you maybe and then you kind of burn out but you know someone like Fincher can just keep on making movies because he's not you know technically writing them so they don't come from him personally although I do think he is an auteur filmmaker completely agree with you there um, Zoe Bell also in the movie. I mentioned Michael Madsen, James Remar, who's who was uh, in the last couple. Yeah, and he's also a, a, a Walter um, Hill regular in a lot of his movies, and was also in obviously the uh, Dexter. So I, I'm curious to see where Sam Jackson shows up because there's he's got to be in the movie. Yeah, right? or like, he'll do a voiceover or something. Yeah, because remember and, even Harvey Keitel was a uh, was uh, did a voiceover in Inglorious Bastards. In Bastards and, yeah. and same with Jackson, right? Yeah, he did the um the. Uh, well, he did the voiceover he, narration in yeah, Bastards. Yeah, yeah, and um, so I'll be curious if he shows up in person or if he does a voiceover. But um, that all being said, very very excited. I'm always excited for a new Tarantino movie, and um, yeah, and it's a, it's almost well, it just passed, but it's a year from now basically. yeah yeah late august right yeah. um so i'm sure we'll be talking a lot more about once upon a time in hollywood for the next year or so and i'm sure more cast announcements will come out in i'm sure a trailer will probably drop by the end of the year or into january yep do you think we'll see it at any festivals next year do you think can can or? can maybe well because i mean bastards played at can Pulp Fiction was the toast yeah. of that year when it won the Palm d'Or. I mean, he's kind of skipped. Did I? I just think uh, Hateful Eight was just yeah. it, it was Hateful Eight and Django were movies where he was shooting right down and to they the were wire. Christmas movies, right? Yeah. Well, Jackie Brown was a Christmas Not movie Christmas as well, movies, right? Right. <laughs> well, Hateful Eight. Oh, kind of. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, because I mean, Michael Madsen talks about going home for the holidays. They play Silent Night on the piano. So technically, it is a Christmas movie. You are correct. I stand uh, corrected. Um, but not like a traditional Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, those movies were shooting like under the wire. Where this probably will be done, maybe by April, mm-hmm. in terms of post production. But you never know, right? I mean, Tarantino is a perfectionist as well. But if it were to play at a festival, it would be can. Because it's not playing on a streaming service. No. Because <laughs> those aren't real movies. Uh, do you want to go in? I'm going to skip that news piece and maybe we'll talk about this at another time. I want to go into the summer 2018 stuff. There's other news stories we right. had, but like. It's done. We'll Matt, have, we're done the summer 2018. Where did it go? We'll have plenty of time to talk 
Star Wars and DC movies and, right. and, and, and things like that. Um, I want to get into the, the, the topic of the week uh, being the summer 2018 wrap-up. Yeah, it's August 31st. We're getting into fall. It's a little cool in Toronto. The but it's supposed to get days. really hot over this the weekend. weekend. It's Labor Day, so I'm glad yeah. that it's a Labor Day weekend, and I'm, I'm glad people will be able to go to their cottages and enjoy the yeah. the last weekend of really nice weather. The first, I looked at the weather for TIFF. supposed to be like Raining. Low, low 20s and thunderstorms and rain, so, you know. Um, I'm happy that I'm in the Scotia Bank for the first day for, for the most 80% part. 80% of the festival. Yeah. Um, so summer 2018, you said you put together kind of your, your top five of the yes, summer. Yes, when, when you say that I put this together, uh, on my GO train ride downtown, <laughs> I uh, quickly assembled through uh, Letterboxd uh, what my favorite films were. So if you're not using Letterboxd. Oh, God. Shout out to Letterboxd. Letter- it was down yesterday for like yeah. a great couple hours. I thought it was just done. I was like, when no. that becomes a trending um, topic on Twitter, you know you've, you, like you've, you've made, made it as an it. app, as a, as a website. I mean, they are one of the like, – it's how I remember what I see throughout a, 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 the course of a calendar Agreed. year. And um, yeah, I'm a, a, a patron of, of Letterboxd. I, I, I love giving them – I mean, I'm, I, it's one of my favorite app. You got me into Letterbox, but I, I've become sure obsessed did. with it, and and um, for the same reason of tracking my my movie watching, and they do a really good job of giving you stats based on which directors you watch, which actors you've watched, um, just tons of different things, and and giving you a full diary of every single movie you've watched throughout the year, and and if you're a paid member, you can you can view that throughout the year, and yeah. if you're an unpaid member, you'll get those stats at the end of each year and you can see how many movies you watched and, and how many movies you've rewatched and um it's a great site for anyone who's a fan of of movies or just um wants to track kind of um what directors they're watching or, or who who they're watching the most or or what they watch because a lot of the times we do this and we watch so much that i have people come up to me and go oh what have you seen that's good lately or what did you see at the festival or, or things like that and I, I just blank and I'm like right. I have no idea what I just saw like I, being put was, on the spot in general is tough I know I was talking to Jake Howell today at, at the TIFF screening we were at and he's just like oh what have you seen so far and I'm like uh, what have I seen and I forgot what I watched yesterday right and I and it happens it happens yeah, I know it happens but so. Letterbox makes your life it's a like, whole lot you easier you think we're like sponsored by them but we're not I wish I we really, were I just really like Letterbox so um go on there if you wanna um if you're a fan of movies but um I haven't put together, I have my like um, my list for my top of the year. I just haven't updated it recently. But um, no, that's the best of 2017. I don't want that. I mean, I think we talked about it last week as well. Um, I, I think both of our number ones is the same, anyways. It is, which um, is Mission Impossible Fallout, and to me. And I, I think you feel the same way. Like, that's the movie that you recommend to people to go and see at the theater. Like, this was made. To you know, on an IMAX, on an IMAX for an IMAX on an IMAX screen, you know, whether it be a weekday night or a weekend, you need to experience this um, in all of its glory, in all of its action and adrenaline. And I mean, Tom Cruise, you know, what whatever you think of him as a person in the Scientology thing, he is a showman and always has the audience's interest at heart, and you can see that in every frame. He loves what he's doing. But at the same time, he's entertaining us and finding new ways to threaten his own life. <laughs> yeah, and it keeps getting more and more thrilling and more and more ridiculous. And, more and I'm just and more... like, I, I'm ha- half of me is like, I am in awe of what he is doing, and I appreciate. It. And I'm like, dude, please, I don't, don't, don't do that. Is he you don't have 50s to do that. Now? Yeah, 
55 or yeah. something like that that's insane to me yeah <laughs> and and yeah fallout is we both talked about this last week that we think it should be competing for the main best picture oscar yeah and um, editing as well because that movie once it starts it does not it's have one yeah. false note it just keeps moving and it moves like a freight train mm-hmm. um, but it also very well paced for being oh a movie absolutely like. and and yeah i i'm i'm just in awe of that movie and, and the mission impossible franchise in general i think is is fascinating i rewatched those this year too and they just get better and better um i mean if you forget about the second one. Yeah. See, and, the, the second one is definitely of its time and yeah. also, you know, post-Matrix where everyone's wearing leather, slow motion. Right. And then when JJ comes in for the third one, um, which I think is a little bit more divisive, I love the third movie. I and, like it, don't love um, it, because I think structurally it's JJ still figuring out the movie yeah, world instead enough. of I just love Philip Seymour Hoffman in that movie, and uh, there are. But again, then the movies just get better. Go, uh, uh, Ghost Protocol, even better than three. Yeah, uh, Rogue Nation, it's a toss up, but I, I think I probably like Ghost Protocol a little bit more. But still, Same. that opera house scene and like <sighs> and that movie in general that builds into Fallout, like it's just the perfect kind of lead in. Yeah, and then Fallout just blows it all up and like and goes absolutely batshit insane. And, and the references like, it makes to the other movies as well, some of them more subtle uh, than others, is fantastic. And and in a way, like I mean, everybody's talking about how you know Avengers: Infinity War is a culmination of you know 10 years of of marvel movies um you know this this movie even though you could still go into mission impossible fall and just enjoy it for the spectacle that it is there are little easter eggs and nuggets for fans that 20 years of mission impossible yeah more than that isn't it isn't it almost like 25 yeah yeah. isn't that a quarter century it's amazing because it was it was one of tom cruise's first produced franchises this was him making that leap as the blockbuster star Mm -hmm. um in in sort of having his own franchise and i mean him still doing it now is you know just incredible to just uh, take a moment and realize that completely agree um What's your second favorite movie of the summer my second favorite movie of the summer now i don't know if it's like i mean if you want to like say you know when the summer begins but yeah what do you consider because i we've had this discussion before I <laughs> the think, summer begins in february because well, of black I mean. panther i think even when we when we talked oh god four years ago on the podcast we were making jokes about fast and furious because i yeah. think that was the beginning of that movie came out in like april or or and um, they would even or, in their tagline said the um, summer starts here. yeah which now it just keeps getting earlier and earlier to yeah. your point that black panther came out in february and like well even um, remember the hunger game films or the first one when it came out in march and it made you know the same kind of money that a, a summer blockbuster would and it felt like oh wow we're getting a taste of what you know the summer movie season is going to be like mm-hmm. um I, I don't really have mine in any order, but I can just talk about some of the best of the summer. Right. But no, what, um, what I was referring there with, with, with my second one, because I think it opened um, in May or June, and it was Hereditary. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, the Ari Aster with you. Yep. movie. And, and, I mean, I hope Tony Collette gets uh, all the awards, at least nominated for, for, for her performance in that film, because, again, like, if you... This is this is why, like, you know, talking about The Little Stranger before, like, this is how you do kind of a subtle horror movie that's also... About uh, family and yeah, history. Yeah, an and allegory like, yeah. to, 
you know, life with, with your family and the deep-seated troubles that you have and, and what the past means to the present and can you escape that. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's an incredibly skillful, tight, um, horrific piece of filmmaking that has you just on the edge of your teeth, clinching your jaw the entire time mm-hmm. and it will, and I don't swear often, but it will fuck you up. Yeah, it's that's true words right there i remember uh, i was kind of late to the hereditary game i waited a couple weeks because i went on vacation just as it came out and um i finally watched it and i after that fucking first act kind of twist that happens and then i just that movie man it's not playing around and i know and, and i mean i love uh kill list and i mean that's the closest comparison but um the only the only thing I would say in, in, in a negative regard um, is that it doesn't leave things ambiguous, and I felt that maybe if it did yeah. a little bit more, that would be perfect. But other than that, I like the, the batshit. Oh, I do. Like, too. I yeah. love the like again. Like you think of like maybe Mother as well recently, yeah. where you have you know the kitchen sink being thrown at you basically, and you're bombarded by images and horrific sounds that you're not prepared for, and and it's all leading up to this moment. But mm-hmm. um, it is so well put together. And Ari Aster, who's now working on his next movie um, that was originally titled uh, Midsummer. Um, is going to be a filmmaker that you're going to want to keep an eye out for because I think he is going to be somebody like a David Fincher. I think you are absolutely correct. I'm I'm with you on that. Do we consider Isle of Dogs in summer? So I would say that's spring. When did it come out? I don't April. Even remember. April. March. Because for me, I, the shoutouts I wanted to give, although we haven't talked, so I'm just going to mention movies that fucking came out this year, basically. Right. Um, I love dogs and uh, another uh, movie, kind of in the in the genre space, a quiet place. Right, um, um, that's definitely spring because um, that was late March, early April. Still gonna shout them out either. Fair way. enough, because I mean um, we didn't really do like a halfway because we, we. I mean this is only this. episode. This is only draft. Uh, I'm two. gonna consider them both summer because um, summer starts in, in April. They're now. two of my favorite movies of the year, and um, I'm not weird with Wes Anderson. Like I'm always kind of hit or miss. Right. on him but i think I, he's grown on me lately to the point where i'm starting to really kind of buy into his shtick and kind of um and kind of really enjoy it because like i loved 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 grand budapest hotel yeah um i loved fantastic mr fox and then so uh, would you I go loved... back and watch rushmore and the royal yeah i think i want to and... go back and reevaluate them because i feel like when i when i watched them when i was younger i just didn't i it was, i don't know just didn't fully get it and right just um you weren't wearing tweed back then. And and I think Moonrise Kingdom rubbed me the l- wrong way a little bit. Like, I just didn't love it like other people did. Um, but again, I, I would love to kind of go through, once I'm done watching bullshit superhero movies and stuff like that, um, pick some some directors and one being Wes Anderson and kind of go through their filmography and, and, and kind of reevaluate them. And that might be fun to do on the, on the podcast too. But although a, a comic book movie directed by Wes Anderson would be very interesting. It would be cool. Um, he's doing a world war two musical. Right yeah. Now? In, in uh, uh, post world war two mm-hmm. France. Yeah. So that should be interesting. Uh, but I loved, I love dogs. So yes. um, do you uh, love dogs though? I don't. Um, but um, I did love, I love dogs. It's it's a great movie, and um, it's weird because it didn't 
do as well as I was thinking it might have financially the way that Fantastic Mr. Fox mm-hmm. did because I felt that that movie really caught on. Did um, that have because of the Rodal stuff? Like Yeah, um, and also I think it was because it was released in thank the thanks November American Thanksgiving. So maybe it was, you know, kind of a nice way to break up the more dramatic fare at that point uh, in the year and have something that was kind of fun and whimsical and, and still, you know, very, you know, it had the melancholy aspect to it, but um, it did. Yeah. Like it just didn't, it it felt like Isle of Dogs kind of came and went without, you know, a whole lot of fanfare Mm -hmm. compared to some of what's like, again, like we were talking about Lenny Abramson, um, you know, going from room to uh, little stranger. I mean, it kind of, it's not, completely dissimilar from you know grand budapest which is one of his which is his biggest financial Mm -hmm. and critical hit and was the film that got him finally you know acknowledged by all these award bodies um and then doing isle of dogs and it kind of did okay critics i think really liked it other than the whitewashing conversation which you need to have um but yeah or the reappropriation it's it's I'm just surprised because it is a really, really well done movie. I mean, the craft is impeccable in that film. Mm-hmm. And the style, just yeah. using the style. And I just feel like you really get a lot of him in that movie. But, like, I don't know, from the opening credits, I was just like, holy shit, this and, is awesome. And we're like, talking about Brian Cranston. For me, his performance as Duke. No, no, is it Duke? No, is it Duke? I don't know the, the dog's names. I can pull it up if you want. But, anyways, his performance, Chief. Is it Chief? <laughs> see, there. Are, see, this is the great thing though about the about the, the 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 names is that they all have similar Chief. 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 I think that is his best performance mm-hmm. over Walter White. Yep. Period. Fair enough. Other than the episode of the X Files he's on called Drive and the movie Drive. Other than Hal from Malcolm in the Middle. Oh, that's good too. Um, and uh, Little Miss Sunshine. Yeah. Which is in for like five minutes. Oh right. Or his cameo in. Um... God, what did I watch recently? Where doesn't he play someone who is like, "Oh, you should come on my show." Is it Entourage? No, 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 no. That's the Disaster Artist. Disaster Artist. That's what it talking is. Talking to yeah, um, talking to Dave Franco. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, God bless him. Um, and then a Quiet Place. Um, again, a movie that caught me off guard that I wasn't expecting to love as much as I I, I did this year. The and, quietest Michael um, Bay produced movie ever made. It is. Yeah. Um, and obviously uh, directed by John Krasinski and starring him and his wife, Emily Blunt, and um, uh, the actress... Um, Millicent Simmons. Yes, who was also in Wonderstruck. Yeah, and Noah Jupe as well, um, who was sadly in Suburbicon. Right. <laughs> um, I, I just, I'm absolutely floored by that movie. I, I, I think it's an abs- almost perfect thriller and, and it was supposed I, to be a cloverfield movie originally like it was tailored to be or contemplated like yeah. they, they thought about doing it but then they thought it could hold up on its own Wh- which merit. it does yeah. and it does and i i just love that it's almost uh completely in in subtitled and sign language and whispering and, yeah. and, and 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 one of the most respectful film audiences i've ever sat with which which is saying enough, something yeah. especially this um, day and age where people were actually engaged and 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 quiet and, and, quiet and, and weren't pulling out their phones like that's a risk onto itself now the one thing i will say about a quiet place it's one of those movies that the more you think about it the more the logic of it yeah, kind of falls apart agree. like especially like because like well why don't you live near a waterfall, waterfall yeah. or a, a river because that you would be suspension safe. of disbelief and i mean you don't have a i i, I 
one thing that does piss me off is nitpicky kind of things right. in, in movies that don't really just try and enjoy it. Like if you're gonna always overanalyze movies you, in everything, you will find logic problems or you will find um, story issues or just things in general. And I I don't think anything is perfect. I think things can be closer to perfect or um, or the best movies maybe have a a no pun intended like a sound argument to no this is believable characters would act this way or they're they're doing these for the right reasons where um yeah the whole waterfall thing where they even they use that as a plot device in the movie but then you kind of go it contradicts itself be going why wouldn't you just build your home underneath that waterfall yeah and like or even just close to it closer Yeah, so there are logic problems, and even how some characters act is a little silly or kind of or dumb. But that's of but the genre. It is, yeah, and I, I, it's passable. Like it's just suspension of disbelief, and you just try to enjoy things sometimes. Yeah. And I know that's usually like a lazy excuse for movies that you enjoy that have dumb issues. Right. But like, I mean, again, like I had this. Um, well, I felt that way with Prometheus a little bit, where people were like, "Well, the scientists wouldn't go in there because they're too smart." But it's a haunted house kind of movie, right? So but they if have the characters to go. Didn't in, make dumb decisions. You wouldn't have, have the movie, movie itself. Yeah. So like that's what's making the movie. Yeah. It's like the, these events are set off because this scientist makes a fucking dumb decision, and you wouldn't have this stuff happen if that doesn't happen. So yes, and curiosity like, sometimes gets the better you're of controlling us. Controlling these, you're you're playing God in this situation. You can make the people do whatever the fuck you want. Right. Like, if you want them to be incredibly smart scientists but then people don't understand why they make a dumb mistake i'm like people make mistakes and yes it sounds stupid to you because you're seeing it from from the outside in going well why didn't they do that but you don't know what that character is thinking in that moment i don't know like now if you if you didn't have another way to do it maybe i can understand that but but in a lot of these ways there probably are different ways right but But that's but again it's not your movie it's someone else's that you're watching so you have to be critical of that but again i've been on the other side of things where i've latched onto that one element that i go that's it happens that's stupid and i don't understand that so i mean it depends on what side of the argument you're on whether you go I didn't like Quiet Place because I felt like it was dumb because why did they do this and why did they do that or why didn't they live there? Yeah. Or how do they poop? How do they... Yeah, like, how, that is a good like, question. Or like do anything? I, really? like, I like, would be screwed because I snore, so... I burp a lot. Yeah. Like, I have stomach problems. <laughs> and, like, I, I'm surprised I drank see, this whole bottle of cherry coke. See, that's the kind of thing I would love them to see, explore maybe a little more is the minutia. Well, the sequel's coming out. In yeah, years. well, that's what I mean. Like, why not go in a little deeper on that kind of stuff because now you can you don't have to you know paint the canvas with such broad strokes anymore because now you've already established it why not show us innovation within the world yeah totally agree and um i think it's excellent and and, and again um, to your point like a great theatrical experience because the like you don't see the audience that often be and so engaged it by something. lets it be atmospheric and kind of build tension and you can tell he's inspired by movies like jurassic park and 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 other uh, kind of uh, spielberg and monster yeah. movies even i remember interviewing him and i brought up uh, um, barbarian sound studio and he kind of gave me this look like really what is this what is what are you talking oh you about? did okay yeah. nice uh you never heard of it no i'm sure he hasn't <laughs> um that's so funny um but yeah, I mean, I I think he he plays with sound obviously very very well. Yeah, I hope that, that 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 um awards wise this year that it does get nominated for sound editing and mixing because um it's incredible and I know that I don't know the two guys off by by name but um 
the sound mixers uh, worked on uh, the Lord of the Rings movies. Uh, they won the Oscar for, for that year, uh, for the first one. I'm falling asleep with you even mentioning that. Sorry. Um, it's the bathroom break, ongoing, break of the show. Ongoing joke. Um, anything else? Or, uh, you wanted, speaking of Bo Burnham that we talked yeah, about. Yeah, so the eighth grade, actually, this is a perfect uh, segue because it's my third uh, pick for the five, my five mm-hmm. favorite films of uh, the summer. You didn't tell me to prep for this, so I just... No, I know. I just, again, I wrote this on the go, literally. <laughs> As you guys can tell, we're still kind of working through uh, right. uh, how we're structuring the show. Uh, but yeah, eighth grade for me was one of those movies where you know we we've seen the coming of age story done countless times um but here it's a movie of the moment and also it feels timeless like you could still watch this 10 years from now and still find the empathy and humor uh within it perfectly because it's a story that needs to be told from the point of view of this young girl who's finishing elementary school about to go into high school um is sort of living her life through um social media and online i mean talking about searching i mean maybe that would even be a great double bill as well just in Mm -hmm. terms of you know how uh the narrative of one you know sort of online community or the internet moves us forward in life and keeps us going and 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 again not fitting in with people and and finding the awkwardness of it and finding that online yeah or trying to find that online with her youtube videos and things like that and you you made a good point of it being timeless and and i feel like and it just feels relatable, even though I am, I'm obviously a 29 year old man that graduated from grade eight a very long time ago, but it was still so painfully like, um, realized in, in, and nostalgic to watch her kind of go through all this stuff and just go, Oh my God, as, as different as this is, as much as I see kids pulling out their laptops or their phones in 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 eighth grade which obviously we didn't have when we were right. in eighth grade and, and and different things like that it's still the it feels authentic and real and exactly how you remember that time in your life being and that's what makes it kind of hard to watch but you can't take your eyes off of it right either. And, it, and it's so touching and 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 I, I don't know, like I really loved eighth grade as well. Yeah, and 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 Elsie Fisher's performance is amazing. But but to go back to you know kids with with phones and and living on the internet now, like there's even a scene when she's hanging out with high schoolers, and one of the kids says that you know like you guys are wired differently than, oh, than yeah. we are because you know you had Snapchat, Snapchat in like in grade six, fifth six. or sixth grade, right? And yeah. and it, to me, it feels like yeah, like this, like look at the generation that's that's you know being born now like what are they going to be like in in 10 years or or, or... Oh god like imagine if i had a kid soon and like i was thinking about this of being like i don't have any plans to <laughs> at least in the immediate future matt do you have um, any kids out there uh i hope not and then but even talking like i mean we're gonna sound like such old men when we talk about like we had to go to the video store to rent a, right remember <laughs> rent blockbusters a... yeah. but you worry about like you know how much dependency we already have on technology yeah. and how much more lazy we'll become or the next generation will become uh with you know having everything at the palm of your fingers or the palm of your yeah hand. and i see it kind of doing a full circle thing where it'll get to a point where we need to do something about that right um and even um, we'll have to reboot or even in uh, I, I rewatched ready player one the other day too and um um while that movie took me a while to kind of fully buy into it i actually ultimately ended up really enjoying it by the end of it and i just kind of like 
the message at it's not a huge spoiler but um at the end of ready player one where they kind of like the oasis has fucked them up so much because everyone just wants to spend every waking moment in this virtual world that they because it's better to... than the one that they have or yeah. at least they feel that way. and you just you automatically log in in the morning and you basically stay in there and you only leave to eat right and take a shit and then like <laughs> and then um i like that they go well we had to realize that we need to have human kind of connections as well and they kind of ban the oasis on tuesdays and thursdays and i found that really interesting but then yeah going back to eighth grade yeah these it's just fascinating though because yes these kids are wired differently and it's a completely different experience but i still felt like i saw myself yeah you connect to them and 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 bo burnham like I got to interview him this summer as well, and um, the thing I loved about him and talking to him was that he gave credit to the kids. Like, he said that he was helped in sort of rewriting the script as they were shooting by Elsie Fisher and the other cast or members. Or letting them improvise. Yeah, and, like... and bringing an authenticity to it. And and I was really taken aback by that because, you know, when, when a movie or anything is successful, you want to be the one that, you know takes claim to that and 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 he was like no like they were there well, he brought... used all like actual kind of kids that yeah. age from that area and that school I think, yeah too. yeah and they were and they were consultants basically mm-hmm. as well as as actors in the cast and and uh well he's also in his late 20s right yeah he's, he's young like, a... like you think about like oh bo burnham's like the director it's like he's like he's he's this young guy who is very thoughtful in what he's trying to say about uh, the internet and how it can be a great place and also a horrible, horrible place as well, mm-hmm. and how it can affect someone's self esteem and who they are as an individual. And uh, it's almost like we've named two movies that do that much better than a movie that shall not be named yes. until later. Well, one of well, it also did play at Sundance. Too. Yeah, we'll see. Um, yeah. So I again, I, I I think it's still playing in a couple of theaters here and there. But Should be out on digital soon too. It, well, then... it's it's getting a Blu-ray release in October, so, so probably a couple of weeks before that, you'll yeah. see it pop up on iTunes and and such. But it is it is absolutely wonderful. And any person I talk to this summer when I go to family events, and I have a little cousin. Um, he's I say little, but he's he's going into high school. But he just graduated eighth grade. Charlie. Um, and I told him, and I'm like, you got to go watch 8th grade because I'm curious to see your opinion on right. it, right? Like, I, I, I'd i be fascinated to see if he gets as much out of it as as we did or as my sister would or, or Nevis did or, or something like that because he literally just um, – finish that and it, it just it even reminded me of him in moments where the kid comes in with the thrasher hoodie on right and that music plays <laughs> and it's so fucking funny the way that burnham sets it up and like it just reminded me of my cousin charlie because he's just like coming in here to my phone yeah it's charging yeah <laughs> like it's just like this exact i'm like oh my god or, he or even the karaoke perfectly. scene that follows into that and like how he drops the music and you're just kind of watching her sing for a moment and mm-hmm. at first it's cringeworthy because you you feel like she's going to embarrass kinda, herself yeah. but then you kind of get into it and he lets it sit for a minute which mm-hmm. i thought was interesting and all the relationships feel authentic i loved um the relationship with her father and 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 every moment between them and yeah uh, the bonfire especially yeah it's great it, it's beautiful it's it's really really good stuff um, uh, black Klansman is a, is another one that i would say which is still Playing in theaters, mm-hmm. uh, Spike Lee's latest joint, um, uh, which I think is uh, one of the 
weirdly funniest movies, but also very poignant and topical and a film that will get people talking and having a conversation, even if, you know, recently with someone like Boots Riley, who's sort of uh, been very vocal against the film, I think that you still have to appreciate the the craftsmanship that goes into something like this. Yeah, that was interesting to um, that whole back and forth. But uh, I'm with you. I, I think both Sorry to Bother You and Black Klansman are... Um, fascinating movies and 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 um it's interesting with boots writing that piece on black Klansmen and and the relationship with police and and showcasing them in the light that right. spike does in the movie but spike but like, lee does the same thing when when it comes to other filmmakers he feels that he yeah, has a problem with because i remember like with tarantino he was very vocal about uh jackie brown and, and everyone's and, entitled yeah. to their opinion absolutely man. And like, absolutely and, and so um, i think i think spike lee could appreciate that at least yeah and i i, I think black Klansman is excellent yeah and I, i'm 100 percent with you on that and um it perfectly balances the comedy with the with the drama and 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 um it's weirder than I even thought. Topher Grace is, is yeah, fantastic. as uh, as David Duke, um, um, and that's the that's the other thing. It David leaves Washington's you also really good. Yeah, John David Washington. It, I mean, obviously, you know, he as as Denzel Washington's son, the nepotism there, but he does hold his own, and and the code switching scenes when he's on the phone to uh, Topher Grace are some of the funniest moments in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the the ending of the movie leaves you with you know the history repeats itself kind of thing. Or do we learn anything oh, yeah. from you know our past mistakes? And I mean, it's pretty powerful in the movie. From like, from I'm... this, I would say no. No, I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is awful. Very good. Um, uh, and then I would say uh, for me, the the other film in, in my top five, or rounding it out, would be uh, the Mister Rogers doc. Uh, okay, won't you be my neighbor? I haven't I, seen it yet. I think you should. It's it's a very traditional uh, documentary, animation, talking heads, archival footage. But again, you know, talking about Black Klansman being a movie that's very timely, I think people needed a film like this right now because it shows you what human decency is. And Fred Rogers, you know was christian he was a conservative but he never brought that into the way that he would teach lessons to children he was accepting and inclusive and kind and you know part of you when when you think of mr rogers you think wait there's got to be like a darker side to this guy right i remember that always being a thing but he was just genuinely like a a really great person and it's like this warm blanket that you need now because of the shit that we live in and the people that can be so, you know, glib and, and, and mean spirited. It's just a nice reminder that there are good people out there, you know, doing wonderful things. And it's, it's a, it's bittersweet as well because um, near the end of, of Fred Rogers life, um, he was brought back in to uh, do access television again to bring some ease and, and um, comfort after nine 11. And, even he felt defeated at that point. And mm-hmm. you see in some of the footage that he is just so heartbroken yeah. by it, you know? And uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really well done uh, movie. And then, and then there's a couple other films like leave no trace was great. The Incredibles two, And then uh, I was pleasantly surprised by Lee uh, Wannell's uh, upgrade. Yeah. Upgrade is a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> that's available now to rent on iTunes. It's also available on Blu-ray. Yeah. Great. Um, yeah, uh, upgrade is fantastic. I'll give a. I mean, it doesn't need a shout out, but um, 
I thought Infinity War was a a, a great culmination of, uh, I mean, I guess part one of a culmination for right. 10 years, 10 years. Of, of Marvel movies. And I did that whole thing by rewatching all 18 Marvel movies leave it, leading up into uh, or 18 or 19 or 18 because Ant-Man came Ant-Man after, after, even though the storyline was right. uh, mm-hmm. beforehand. So I'll give a shout out to Infinity War, uh, which I actually um, thought was quite excellent. And um, uh, so uh, now I want to go into a couple of the disappointments. Uh, I guess Solo, I would say for me, is like the one that I, I was okay with. Like I thought it was fine. But, right. Um, I kind of knew going in with the Ron Howard stuff and the Phil Lord and Chris Miller stuff that like I I wasn't really sure what I was going to get, but right. it ended up I enjoyed myself, but I just it's fine. I haven't thought about it since right. the minute I left that theater, and it's disposable entertainment. And that's not is that good enough for a Star Wars movie? And that's a whole another conversation we can have at another time. Right, but like maybe if the if it was like. You know, the 10th or 11th Star Wars movie, the way that, like, you know, some of the Marvel movies as Like Ant-Man. Yeah, yeah. But because it's so recent with the new wave of Star Wars movies, I kind of feel that it needed to be an event film the way that the uh, Skywalker trilogy is. Right. Especially to start an anthology series. Like, I'm curious to rewatch it again in 4K when it comes out in a couple weeks. And and, um, I just... I don't know. I still enjoyed it, but it was kind of like for a Star Wars movie, pretty forgettable. And um, I think audiences showed that they didn't really. I mean, we talked about it a little last week that somehow Ant Man's a success and Solo's a failure, but they both kind of made similar money. But um, Disney's going to take over the world anyway, so who really yeah. cares? <laughs> like, um, All hail Disney! Anything else overlords. you wanted to mention about summer? Uh, we, Jurassic uh... World: Fallen Kingdom was oh, horrible, God, and yeah. there's some defenders out there, and I just don't really? understand. Yeah. Yeah. If anyone, if you don't know, Jurassic, the first Jurassic Park is my favorite movie of all time, and it's a great film. They're still struggling to figure out how to make a sequel. But it's like Jaws, though, as well. Like it's like you don't need it. Take away from the first movie, but also the motivation of bringing older characters back gets harder and harder, especially when they were on the island. Um, And Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard. Their characters are horrible. <laughs> they really are. And, like, I've said this before. I'm like, I like Chris Pratt, but, like, I just feel like in... He's a supporting player. Yeah, in Jurassic, in the Jurassic World movies and in Passengers and some of the stuff where he's been more of a lead lately, I just feel like um, he fits Star-Lord really well. But well, he's a part ensemble. of an ensemble, yeah. And um, he just... I don't know. He just doesn't We need work. him in her money ball mm-hmm. in Zero Dark Thirty mm-hmm. where he is a funny... Uh, engaging uh, idiosyncratic character that's a supporting role. Yeah. And, um, yeah, oh, we haven't even really talked about all the Guardian stuff, but we'll get into that another time, too. But, um, yeah, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom is just bizarre. Uh, it starts off kind of okay because it's just an imitation of like a, uh, of a Jurassic, a really classic Jurassic Park scene in the rain and, and, and right. the park and with the T Rex and everything. And, and then it just goes downhill from there. And there's also some character choices and motivations that are very questionable. Uh, and silly. And s- just especially like, in the third and act. And the whole dino auction and everything. In the, well, it, in becomes the, a, like, it becomes a gothic uh, haunted house movie because J.A. Bayona, who yeah. directed the movie, also did uh, The Orphanage. And it feels like he almost wants to abandon the dinosaur thing completely and make another gothic thriller. But instead of ghosts, it's dinosaurs. 
stupid. Stupid. All right, man. Yeah. I think that's going to wrap this episode. The Summer 2018. Draft, the second draft of the Untitled Movie Podcast has come to a close. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, again, thank you all for the kind words of the last week or so. Um, we hope you enjoyed this. Um, we're ramping up for TIFF. Um, we'll record one more episode before the festival begins next week, so you'll have a regular episode uh, next Monday. Um, I'm one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck. You can find my work at intheseats.ca, uh, cineplex.com now, which is, is strange to say. And um, follow along with me on Twitter, at Matt Rohrbeck. I'll be tweeting all throughout TIFF all my um, crappy opinions on all the <laughs> on all the, the films I see and uh, and uh, hopefully keeping track on Letterboxd too so I remember uh, what I'm watching. Yeah, uh, I'm Eric Marchin and thank you so much for all the uh, the critiques and, 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 and output that you guys have been giving so far. I mean, we're, we're only just starting so to get any feedback whatsoever is, is, is really heartening and it gives us, you know... Uh, a spring in our step to continue and, and want to put out better content each and every week. So and we'll keep you. getting better too. Yeah, I hope so. so. And uh, you can find uh, my uh, video reviews on rogerstv.com slash cinema scene. And also I'm on Twitter at EM6211. And that's it for this week, guys. We'll be back next Monday with a regular episode uh, right before TIFF. And uh, see you then. Happy long weekend, everybody. Take care. Bye. Bye.